This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi. It's uh, We're recording this on Monday because of some scheduling things. The day before here in America, a lot of things are about to happen. I think it's safe to say whatever happens, a lot of things are about to happen tomorrow. I think that's the safe call. So this is sort of the... Um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, we hope it's bringing you some, um, fun distraction. Yeah, I'm trying, I mean, I say I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to try to find things to do or just refresh Twitter all day, but I know that I will just refresh Twitter all day. Uh, so I'm already looking forward to that, to the misery of Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be, it feels like, you know, I have something to do. Even though I don't really, it's still going to be fairly, especially during the daytime, a just normal day for me. Uh, but it feels certainly like a hill to get over, even though I have a feeling um, it won't be limited to just Tuesday. So I'm excited to talk about some Joshi wrestling, though, um, and have some fun. <laughs> was that in your Trump voice? <laughs> no, that was not. That was not the. That was not. That was not what I was attempting to do. <laughs> oh God! What What's bad is that if somebody's listening to this and the election's already been decided and Trump wins, they're going to be so pissed right now. They're going to just turn it off, probably. So that'd be bad. Um. Okay. Taylor does not want to engage on that point. <laughs> I mean, yes, they probably would be, but maybe they would even be, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Let's, I don't want to put the ener- that energy out in the universe, so that's, I'm that's just fair. not going to acknowledge it. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, well, we're putting out good energy in the world over on Twitter, at Audio. Taylor, you did uh, some, some tweets about shows. I did some discourse tweets that uh, I regretted pretty quickly afterward. And then I didn't tweet anymore. (laughs) Although you did tweet, you did tweet yesterday to tell people that the show was happening on Tuesday. So that was good. That's true. I think that consistency is very important. And I assume that some people anticipate that our show is going to come out every other Monday. So I like to let people know when it's going to be a little bit late. Um, so I, I have no idea. Maybe nobody cares, but I hope they do. So I thought I'd let them know. Um, you, I did do some tweets over at my my regular Twitter at Aaron Like the Car, Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, please subscribe to this show. Uh, give it a, a five star rating and a review if you use the Apple Podcast app. Tell a friend about it who watches Joshi. They'll probably enjoy it. 
And if you want to support the show, you can donate at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Some big news that we're going to talk about up front. Then we're going to get into the stardom Coroquin from the 29th. We will look at what's going on in the tag league. We're going to look at the uh, stardom show in Sendai on November 15. We're going to preview the Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestle Princess show. And then we're going to talk about everything else that's happened, including the, the Be a Heroes Girl show. I noted that on Twitter that we were going to talk about that. So we will, uh, along with everything else. So let's get right into the news. One of the biggest things to happen recently, uh, this kind of was a big story a while back, but it's come back around. Mako Satomura announced she's not going to be with Sendai Girl so much because she's going to NXT UK. What do you think of this, Taylor? Uh, I, you know, I'm not super uh, overjoyed about it. It seems it makes sense to me, but seems sort of like a seems like a strange uh, move. It does seem to me. I did get the feeling that um, Mako was headed that way. Of course, there was all those rumors about NXT Japan prior to all the COVID stuff going down, the COVID stuff has happened and has at the very least put NXT Japan on hold, um, if not outright sort of canceled it. Although there are some, you know, rumors that it's still going to happen at some point down the line. So maybe that this is a holding pattern that Mako was planning on doing some NXT thing. And when the Japan thing fell through, they said, well, you can come to the UK. She's been to the UK a number of times to wrestle for a number of different promotions. Um, It's certainly interesting. I mean, I look at it as, you know, it's another person going off to the world of WWE, meaning I'll never see them again. But I think it's more interesting, you know, most oftentimes when wrestlers go, it's just a single wrestler. Um, and the effect is just sort of on the shows that they appear on where Mako is heavily involved in Sendai Girls. I don't know what the booking planning, what goes into that. If it is Mako herself just booking the promotion, if she's getting help from someone else, if she's not booking it. But I think the most interesting thing about this to me is that I've talked about on this show the sort of malaise that Sendai Girls and the Sendai Girls booking has been in with this sort of wheel spinning, not a lot happening style of shows. If Mako did have a heavy hand in booking, I'll be interested to see if she continues that even if she's in the U.K., or maybe she gives it to someone else and we see maybe a little bit of a different look. Maybe there's new people brought in. I don't know what the effects are going to be, but I'm much more interested in the effects on Sendai Girls and sort of the effects in Japan than I am in seeing Mako Satomura wrestle in NXT UK, of which I probably couldn't name more than maybe one um, female wrestler who wrestles in NXT UK. Does to I don't know. Maybe is Tony Storm still there? Uh, I don't I, know. I, I don't know. I just want to say, Gallus. Yeah, are they female wrestlers? Is Gallus <laughs> female wrestlers? I don't think so. Okay. 
<laughs> I just like saying uh, Gallus. Yeah, I don't know anything. Of course, this has been the week that NXT UK probably has gotten the most exposure with the Walter um, uh, and Ilja Dragunov match, which I had forgotten about both those human beings until they were mentioned about this great match. I haven't watched it yet. Um, but yeah, so to me, it's just sort of the end point of a lot of these people, which is she will go um, to WWE and disappear for me. But it's not a huge surprise. She was in the Mae Young Classic. There were all these rumors about NXT Japan that Mako was going to be the female trainer there. So it's not a huge out of left field thing. It is a bummer, but we'll see what happens. Yes, I think all that's true. I mean, Sendai Girls is weird in that it has a very shallow roster, at least like a permanent roster, you know. So I feel like it's going to hit them really hard having Mako in matches really punched up uh, the cards sometimes, and now they're, uh, it seems, not going to have that. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting in that, yeah, Mika was rumored to be a trainer with NXT Japan, but it seems to me that she had signed some sort of contract with them, and now they've decided they can't get her to America, so she's going to have to go to the UK. Uh, I wonder, is this something we see with, uh, with Sari next? Does she end up going to the UK? I think that's, although things have slightly changed here recently with the UK banning all outgoing travel. So I don't really know who can get into the UK, but uh, that's kind of another interesting point for me. Yeah. And I don't know what, you know, I don't know if Mako is going to NXT UK because she has that connection to, as I mentioned, those UK promotions, she's familiar there. And maybe they offered that to Sari. They said, well, you can come to NXT UK. And she said, no, thanks. You know, I don't know what the circumstances are. It certainly seems to me the way that Sari's being booked. I mean, she's being booked, as we'll talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of shows that she either will be on or was on. It certainly doesn't seem like her bookings indicate that she's wrapping up or leaving anytime soon to go anywhere. Um. So it'll be interesting. It, it it will be interesting to see. I think the longer I think I mentioned this or talked about this on another show where we talked about this. I think the longer that Sari sort of hangs out in Japan, I think naturally the chances of her ending up in NXT go down. Um, I mean, she still could definitely show up there, but at this point, I mean, Aaron, if you were predicting when. <laughs> When is the time where the U.S. borders are going to open and, and Sari's going to be able to get in the country? I don't even know if I could give you a guess of when that is. Six months, one year, a year and a half. I don't know. I mean, the safest bet is 2022. Um, I, I could see it being later in 2021. I mean, you know, there's all this talk about vaccines and, you know, I'm not a epidemiologist or whatever. And. It's like, oh, well, even when a vaccine comes out, now they're saying it's going to take a long ass time to get enough people vaccinated for it to have a real effect. So, <laughs> I mean, I know, for example, like bands are saying and venues are saying they're not going to uh, be touring again until 2022. So I think that's possible. Uh, now, on the other hand, Japan is talking about opening up the borders of tourists in April. You just have to basically agree to have your your um movements tracked and I, I could see a similar 
thing happening here, I suppose, where maybe they'll let you come, but you have to, uh, you know, be part of some program where they know where you are in case you test positive and they can uh, do tracing. If, you know, again, I'm sorry to anyone who's listening to this after the election has been decided, but if, uh, if the Biden administration comes in, I think one thing we can all anticipate is a, and I'm not a big Biden guy, but uh, is a more comprehensive and coherent plan on COVID. So I could certainly see some sort of, and a fucking um, technocratic <laughs> response to COVID. So I can see like an app that you have to uh, be part of to, to come into the country. Well, and I also think that even if it's, let's just make up a number and say it's six months from now, I don't, I don't know that it's going to be the case where they say, okay, people can come back in and WWE is running and racing to get Sari back in the country. I don't know that she's priority number one in terms of when all these things are happening, WWE is going to be doing a lot of other things or handling a lot of other situations, I'm sure. And I'm not sure that one wrestler who's going to be in NXT and is probably going to take some, I mean, I don't know if she comes over and she gets a big hyped debut or if she comes over and they say, well, you need six months of this sort of retraining, you know, looking, you know, the cliche sort of quote unquote, looking at the hard camera training. And if that is the case, I don't know if they're in a rush to bring her over. If she's not going to be part of the shows right off the bat, because there's probably other people that you could bring in that would probably be more helpful in the immediate, you know, as things are opening back up. It seems to me they accomplished their goal when they signed her, right? They kept her away from Bushy Road. They uh, did get like a, a young prospect who has, um, who could be very, very good. So they did that. But I don't know that <laughs> with all the people they have, do they really need to pop Sari on a show? Like, does she really do anything for their business overall? And it's not like she was a huge or is a huge star in Japan, right? It's not like you can bring her to Japan and, uh, you know, pop a huge number because people just have to come out and see Sari. So I don't know. I, I thought it was an interesting signing at the time. That's, one of the first times they've come and gotten a like a young like prospect type uh Japanese women's wrestler everybody else was kind of like closer to finishing up you know so uh i'm not sure what they intend to do with her but i i certainly think they're going to put her in you know uh front rolls class for a year or whatever yeah it's interesting cuz they had i mean and they've had her their eyes on her for so for, you know, a number of years back when she was in Seedling and they wanted her for the first May Young Classic and, you know, Seedling wouldn't let her go. That was the whole thing. So, you know, I don't know if it was the case of, I remember at the time, the big story was William Regal was in Japan sort of going to these Joshi shows. I don't know if it's just a case of he happened to go to the show and he caught Siri and he said, oh, she's great, and it, she got put on the radar, and I think she's expressed that that's her end goal um, at the end of the day. So maybe the fact that she was so into it, you know, and they said, we won't let you go, and maybe WWE just put, you know, flagged it and said, we'll come back to it in a few years down the road, which is what they did. 
I don't know, but as we talked about before, she's also young enough that it's not an emergency. You don't need her in the company in the next year or you, you know, she's going to age out or something like that. You could wait two years and she's still going to be one of the younger people on the entire roster that you have. So it's interesting. As I always say, I'm more than happy to have her um, in the Joshi scene for the time being. Um, And we just have to sort of see what happens. Indeed, but we'll we'll also see what happens with with Mako. Well, we won't see what happens with Mako, but we'll see what happens with Sendai Girls, and uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, next piece of news, also a sad one: Takumi Aroha injured. She's going to be out ten months. Taylor. Yeah, another uh, tough injury for Marvelous. It's uh, you know uh, Rin Katakura was out for fifteen months and just returned. Mio. Uh, Momino was out for a number of months, came back for a few shows and then got re-injured and was out for another number of months. So just sort of a lot of bad luck um, here for Marvelous. You know, looking on the bright side, when I first sort of read the announcement, I tried to look on the bright side, which was before, you know, many months ago, a year and a half ago, before Rin was injured, you know, Takumi and Rin were tagging as Neutra in Marvelous. They were having great matches. They had a match in Stardom. That was really good. They were sort of building. I remember at the time they were sort of building this case for a sleeper tag team of the year. Um, and then Rin got injured and Takumi sort of took off as the definite ace of Marvelous. And now I'm interested to see now that uh, Takumi Aroha is out, if the sort of opposite happens, that maybe Rin doesn't become the ace of the company, but now she will get more singles chances to sort of shine as a singles wrestler and maybe, you know, build her up um, bigger. And then when Aroha comes back, then you've got two big, you know, you've got two big stars instead of one, you know, your ace and then this other sort of wrestler you could really work because I think Rin um, is very underrated. You know, I think partially due to the fact she's been out so long and with, you know, the turnover of wrestling viewers, some people maybe have not seen her or have just seen the few matches she's had since she's come back, but she's super talented. And I think she could really benefit from more of a spotlight now that um, Aroha is out. I guess this also has an effect on the the marvelous stardom. Um, I don't know, whatever uh, collaboration that was going on. I mean, most sadly for me personally, is the the promised uh, Iroha versus Momo match that was supposed to happen in Marvelous. So I'm bummed about that. But I wonder how this affects all that. I mean, at least they got the Mayu Iroha match, so that was good, and obviously something that had had been built decently well. So I'm interested to see if they do anything together going forward. I would expect that Marvelous kind of particularly needs it uh, with Iroha out. Yeah, it's always been a bit weird because they've had this undercurrent of Marvelous stardom working together idea for a long time. As I mentioned, a while back, they were doing matches. They had that Neutra match in stardom. 
Then Aroha came, had the match with Mayu in February. Now, of course, Stardom didn't have that many shows. So it's a little bit of a, we don't know what they would have done. But then that sort of disappeared. It came back for the second Aroha match. But Aaron, as you had mentioned, they sort of set up all these different um, sort of ideas of things that they could do during that six-person tag that they had. We thought maybe Meiho Shizuki would be in the tag league with Azumi. That didn't happen. And unless I've missed something um, or didn't see it, there's really been no mention of anything. There's been no mention of that match or anything like that since really that Aroha match ended, which was a number of weeks ago at this point. So I'm interested to see. I don't know if Marvelous will come to them and say, well, we'd like to work with you more because now we're missing our big star. Or if Stardom says, well, that was really the person we cared most about having because they are, um, you know, your big star and they're helping us. So I don't know. It's a weird relationship that I can't really wrap my head around because there's been no consistency to it. Yeah, no, there hasn't been any follow-up as far as I've seen. Uh, Obviously, I think you're onto something that startups going to be like, well, kind of having a Roja is the thing that that helps us. But I hope at least they do Azumi versus uh, Meiho Shizuki because that's a match that I am looking forward to if it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see. I could think of a number of Stardom Marvelous crossover matches that I would love to see because I think they would be really good. I just don't know if Stardom looks at the Marvelous roster. I mean, it's not a company that has huge or appears to have huge ambitions. I mean, they sort of do these fun shows. They don't do a ton of shows. They don't have huge audiences, um, except for when they sometimes, you know, they've run Corican very, very rarely. Um, so I think they would be fun matches, but I just don't know if Stardom looks at that and says, well, now it's not worth it because if we want to have good matches, we'd rather have them with our own people or try and have them with our own people. And then that helps us rather than you bringing in these unknown wrestlers and building their names on our company when it might not help us, which Aroha would do because she is, you know, she has a history in stardom. She's super talented as we've seen, especially in those two matches with Mayu. So we'll see. But again, we don't know if maybe this was another case of if Aroha doesn't get injured, that stardom once again just says, okay, we're good. And then we'll come back to you in another year and maybe have a couple more matches. That's true. We will uh, unfortunately not get to find out now uh, how it would have gone. But uh, hopefully, Aroha gets back as quickly as possible uh, and has a nice recovery. So we'll see what happens. Let's move into talking about some shows. I think we're going to start with the Stardom October 29th uh, Goddess of Stardom Tag League show at Corquin Hall. (laughs) I'm skeptical of even saying this, but they drew 471 fans to this show, which I expect uh, we will discuss. 586 at the Corquin before that, 11 days before on 1018. Uh, Well, you put the note here. We go ahead and talk about it now. The, their last set of Corquins, they went from 677 down to 407, nine days later. Uh, I've noted here that the total 
attendance for those two Coroquins dropped by about 30 fans from the last set to this set. Uh, any, I mean, Taylor, you know, this is pretty much your thing. So, I mean, do you have any hot takes on Stardom's Coroquin attendance? Well, I know that we were talking and based on that 407 number that they had drawn on the second show, the second Corican show from the previous month, and looking at this card, I was wondering if they would struggle to do 400, which they did comfortably over that with 471. I mean, it's not a blow away. You don't look at 471 and say, oh, we did great. We did it. You know, it's lower obviously than the 586, which also is lower than that 677 they drew the month before. You know, Aaron, you mentioned it sort of at the top of the show that you um, went into the discourse on the Twitter, um, uh, sort of covering this idea. I had some discussions on the Voices of Wrestling um, Discord talking about this and i think you know there was some clarification points of what we've talked about on the show but i do think one person they've done they've helped well is julia i think of all the things we talk about on this show about how they need to get people to the top of the card to have some draws i think really julia more than anyone else on this roster they have done well with, but they've done largely the things that we've been on the show and talked about that stardom needs to do. Julia came into the company. Now she came into the company before a lot of these other people came into the company. So she sort of had clear air, you know, Shuri was there with her relatively soon, but at that point she was still, I think largely thought of as, Oh, this freelancer who's coming in. She came in, Julia, she came in with a hot feud and that really, I think, drew a lot of eyeballs that people were talking about. She went from that into another big feud that was very successful and she won a title. And we've talked about how, you know, we talked about that Yokohama show, there were no title changes. And I think the that message, you know, we hadn't seen the show, so it's a little bit of a strange situation there. But I think it got confused that people thought we were saying, well, the only way to make stars is to sort of have titles change hands, which I don't think is the case. Now they gave Julia this title and I think it's largely helped her. But I think there needs to be some emphasis on one thing I think stardom has not done well is create you know, help people outside of title matches. It oftentimes feels a little bit like everyone's sort of in a long line and you wait and your chance to really boost your profile is when you get a title match where I think they could be helping a lot of these people by putting them in storylines that don't necessarily involve titles. They did it with Julia, with the Hanukkah feud. You know, that was not based around, you have a title, I want a title. And that helped, at the time, it helped both of them. And that was non-title, but you look at some of the sort of non, 
title storylines they've had going this year. I mean, we talk about the we've talked about the Tokyo Cyber Squad and Oedo Tai feud, which I think was not helpful really to anyone in that feud. I mean, not to mention that then Jungle was injured, which is unrelated. But I I think the 471 number is good. I mean, it's better than 407. I think it talks to that Julia is on the right path, but she still is not there yet. But I just think there's a lot of, um, just based on the discussions that we had, I, Aaron, I think you would agree with me on this point. So I'll say that we think, I mean, I think this roster is very talented. I think, obviously, you know, Bushi Road has the ability to throw money at wrestlers who are very talented to get them to come into this company. The issues we have is the way the company, the way the booking is happening, the way that Stardom is presenting themselves as we are good enough to run two Corican's a month, something that almost no other company in Japan does. New Japan does it, and we look at New Japan. They're a huge company. They're clearly the biggest company in Japan. They've got huge stars. They have a deep roster. They have a lot of titles. And so you now put yourself on this pedestal of saying, we are good enough to run two shows a month at sort of the big, especially in the world of Joshi. Corkin Hall is thought of as, this is really the big venue to run. A lot of promotions run there every other month. Some promotions run there once a year because it's a big ass to fill this big venue, even with these COVID restrictions. And I just think there's a mismatch between how they've developed the people in the company who are all very talented, but are not the top level sort of big blow away stars. That's so there's a difference between the way they're presenting it and the way that things are coming off to me. Okay. Yeah. I have a few things here. One, the 471 number is higher than I thought it was, but when you look at the two totals, you see that it's the same group of fans just deciding differently which show they're going to go to. So I, I'm not sure that I'd be really excited when uh, I look at that my total attendance for those two Corquins is down. Uh, but the in the grand scheme of things, my issue is is what you were talking about, Taylor, regarding running two Corquins period, and that the only real comparison point here is New Japan. So what we're talking about is a company that is running two Corquins a month. Then they're running a bigger show. It looks like maybe monthly they're going to run a bigger show. And as a result, the Corquin shows, the cards are not very exciting or impressive as far as what you're getting when you compare it to what you used to get, <clears throat> excuse me, at Stardom Corquins. Now, some of that has to do with losing four of your top stars. There's no doubt about that. But it's also something to do with building up the roster that you have now so that you can have those impressive cards. If you're telling me that they are treating Corquin as somewhat of an afterthought because they get to run bigger shows, 
My response to that is, what about their business tells you that that's a successful idea? And where is the proof of concept? What Tokyo-based wrestling company is successful by treating Coroquin as not their main show? Which one? The only answer is New Japan. And they're not in the same stratosphere as New Japan on like any level. Work-wise, I mean, I prefer stardom to New Japan, but I prefer stardom. That's the thing that irritates me so much is stardom is my favorite promotion, which I think is should be clear to anyone who's listened to the show. So I'm frustrated that I don't think they're doing well and that they're not putting on the kind of shows that I think are going to be most successful. So what I'm saying is what they're doing doesn't make any sense because there's no one else who's ever succeeded this way. No one, no company. You can't show me one until they are very consistently selling out Coroquin. And yes, I know if you want to come back and say, well, it's COVID. Yeah, that means you can only get whatever 30% in there and they can't sell that out. That's concerning. Even though they have shown that sometimes like the, the big five-star Grand Prix finals, they got a big crowd out. So why can't they get those people out to these other shows? Could it be because the cards aren't as good as that card was? I mean, that, that would be my, <laughs> that would be my uh, assumption. And when we look at this, this Sendai Sun Plaza show, that card's not stacked either. So tell me, when, when are they going to put on the big show <laughs> with the big matches? That's what I want to know. So anyway, that's my take on their business. I agree that Julia, they've handled Julia very well. She's a star now. She's a big star. She's somebody that they can draw uh, crowds with if they put her in the right feuds and in the right matches. And I don't think uh, they've done that yet. Uh, we'll talk about this match when we get to it, but they're going to have to find some other people that they put on the same level as Julia. Well, yeah, and I think just to add on to your point, you know, there is some, there was some talk about, well, now they're running bigger shows, so Corican is less important. But I think uh, I think the company would agree with me. I think the company would like if they sold out every single show that they did, which they're not doing for any of their shows. And look, I'm not saying these Corkins need to have five title matches a show and they, you know, need to burn everything. But I'm saying that a, a good, a really strong company would have a number of options. When you look at building a card, you want to say, well, these matches that I could put together, however many they are, these are my matches that are the big matches. People are going to be, oh, they're going to be like, oh, I can't wait to see that match. I really need to go. Then you should have a set of matches that people would go, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting match. Maybe it's not the match they're dying to see. They really want to see it. But you should have that subsection of interesting matches, and you do that by creating by creating a group of people who are, you know, you can sort of mix and match them into these matches where they're not the 1A matches, but they're the 1B or maybe the level 
two matches and maybe instead of putting a 1A match on a Corkin, you put maybe two second-level matches to help you draw. But I'm just saying there's so much going on. They're bringing in so many people that, and we'll talk about this with this show and with the Sendai Sun Plaza show. There's so many masters they now have to serve. They have to get this person over, but they can't get this person over at the expense of this person. And, but then they're also bringing in another person. And then there's another surprise person. And then you've got three people who are already in the company. You need to help. It's just so many things going on that they can't, it's, I mean, looking at the roster myself, I would be hard pressed to say, what is the plan for to get some of these people up? Because there's so many options and, you know, I just don't know, but I do know the goal of the company is to sell out the big shows, to sell out the medium shows, which I guess if you want to make the argue Corkin is now a medium venue, I'm sure that Bushi Road wants to sell out Corkin, whatever the capacity of, if it's one third, if it's one half, if it's full, they want to sell out every, every capacity, every option. And then, of course, they want to sell it to small shows, which I believe they're doing pretty consistently. But it's 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 just creating a roster, creating a company where you have the ability. It, it seems to me like the options for them currently are we have big time matches that we can offer or we really have n- – just sort of matches we throw together. Make some undercard stories for some people. Try and hit, you know, I see so many, I watch every stardom show and so many matches just seem like, oh, well, these are the people who sort of weren't wrestling on the rest of the card. So put some on one side and put some on the other. And then, you know, they'll cut a promo that's like, we're excited to face off. And that's all it is. There's nothing the match ends and nothing really has changed. I think you're right. And when we talk about like those big matches, it's not that they're not putting those matches on the card. It's that they don't have those matches because they haven't built people up to be in those matches. You know I mean? I was thinking about this a lot and it's really like to be a very healthy promotion, you need about four or five people who could credibly win the title, a top title at any time. You know, so I'm talking about someone who is capable of winning the red belt or the white belt, four to five people. Then you need four to five people under that who would be, you would be surprised if they won the title, but they're still a credible challenger. Someone who could get in there and if they got a near fall, you'd buy it because you think, eh, they probably won't win, but then you could talk yourself into it uh, as the match is going on. So they don't have that. They've got Mayu and Julia. And Utami. And that's the end of the road. They don't have anybody who's a credible challenger. I mean, I I know people will probably dislike this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh I was the other podcast or the other promotion I do a podcast about, AEW, I was thinking about their roster. And I was thinking about who are the, you know, if I was thinking about it in the same way, champions. And I'm just looking at their roster. Uh Brody Lee, who was a top champion recently. Chris Jericho, Cody, um, John Moxley, Kenny Omega. 
There's five people who could be the, the top champion at any time in that promotion. And then I think about people who could be credible challengers. Adam Page, Brian Cage. Mm, I'm just going down through here. Eddie Kingston is challenging on this pay-per-view that they have coming up. Uh, Lance Archer. Uh, Darby Allen is also challenging. So there's five people who could win the title at pretty much any given time and five people who might not win, but they would still not be out of place as challengers. So I think that's what you have to look to achieve. And I want to be very clear that some of this is not stardom's fault because they have lost an insane amount of top stars, but that doesn't take away from them the responsibility to build new stars and the fact that they haven't is borne out by the fact that they're not selling out Corquin. They're not selling out these big, huge shows because they don't have the matches to do it. So that's the that's the frustration. It's not, I would understand if we were coming on this show and I could see that they were trying to make, I don't know, let's just say Himika. They were trying to make her into a big star. And you could see the steps that they were taking with her, you know, having her get important wins over certain people, separating her from some of this kind of middle morass that you and I have talked about so much. Then I would say, look, these cards aren't great right now, but you can see the plan they have to get there. But as it stands right now, there's no obvious plan to separate any of these people from the others. Julia was already separated before any of this happened. Mayu was already separated. Utami was you know, I can give them some credit for Utami. They obviously, before any of this happened, they saw Utami as a potential star and they're doing good things with her. I think she has to beat uh, Mayu, which we'll talk about later. But where are the plans for anybody else to move up the card? I just don't see it. And that's what's frustrating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry, that was a lot. No, no, no. I mean, they're all good points. And I think, you know, as we saw from the past, you know, from you on Twitter, me on Discord, you know, I I just wanted to say, you know, we talk about a lot of this stuff. And I think some people see it as we're sort of going after stardom. And Aaron, as you just said, stardom is your favorite promotion. I mean, stardom is the reason that I am a Joshi fan. They're the first Joshi company I watched, you know a number of years ago. That's how I got into the whole scene. And, you know, they've set a high standard for themselves in a number of ways. I mean, you think about years ago, you had Io Shirai, you had Kairi Hojo, you, you know, Mayu, Mayu is still around. So obviously you have her. These were the, these were huge top stars in stardom and in you know, in Joshi and frankly with Io Shirai in the entire world of wrestling. Now, I'm not saying you're going to turn around in five seconds and find another Io Shirai who was such a, you know, very charismatic, incredible in the ring, really broke through the sort of Joshi barrier that sometimes happens separating Joshi from the rest of the world of wrestling. But they were people who they set a high, high, high standard for what stardom is capable of achieving. And now you've added to that, that stardom is being backed by a huge company 
that clearly wants to make this a big deal. You know, Tokyo Joshi is backed by a, a big company, but you don't look at Tokyo Joshi and say, they're clearly trying to make this a huge deal. You know, they're having their biggest show ever soon, but they're sort of happy in in their space and doing what they do. Stardom is signing people. They're doing a lot. They're at they're advertising a lot more. I know it's there's clearly a lot of things that are presenting to the world and saying this should be a big deal. And so the standards that stardom has to meet are higher than for a company like Seedling. I'm just picking a company out of thin air. Seedling has a roster of four people. You know, they're doing small shows. They're just sort of doing their own thing. So the standards are higher for them to be successful. You know, if they were not, you know, backed by a huge company, I would say that they're doing great. You know, they obviously have a lot of talent on the roster, but they are backed by a huge company. And so to me, I look at it and I say, well, now they've said we are here. Now we're going to go. We're going to make this great. And they haven't quite met that. And my thought always with all wrestling I watch is, I hope every match that I ever see for the rest of my life is a five-star match. And I know some, if you talk to some people, you know, if you talk to Aaron, if you talk to other people I talk to, I am almost notorious for being very, you know, I give out more five-star matches in a year than I know that some people give out in a, in a decade. Because I go into wrestling saying, I really want to like this. So I don't, I'm not coming at stardom saying, ah, you know, haha, I've, I've got you now because I really want to come on here and stick it to stardom. No, the thing I want is I want the company to get better and better. I want more people to come to the shows. I want more people to be watching on stardom world or wherever stardom happens to be airing, you know, in Japan or internationally because the better the shows are, the more people that come, the better the company becomes, and the better, even better, the shows become. Yes, I agree. We both want everything to succeed, <laughs> really. It's just uh, our our thoughts on why it's not succeeding as well as it can right now. So, okay, well, uh, let's get into the actual show. It started out with a five-way with Rina defeating Gokigen Death, Hina, Ruaka, and Saki Kashima. Ruaka returning her, her re-debut uh, in stardom. Uh, this ended with Rina rolling up Hina. And then after the match, Saki Kashima uh, invited Rina to join Oedo Tai, and she did so. Yeah, largely felt sort of like a storyline. Like I said, I mean, an interesting thing here, a little bit of a storyline in the first match that makes it a little bit more than just, you know, throwing the five people on the bottom of the card. I mean, it's good for Oedo Tai in that clearly they still need more. Um, I mean, still even with B coming back and Konami joining, there's still a little bit of a thin group. They now have someone under Saki Kashima. So maybe they can, as we've talked about on the show, maybe they can try again with Saki where she doesn't have to take the losses in, in all the matches, although it certainly seems from what's going on that maybe every Oedo tie match 
in the future ends with a DQ, which seems to be what's happening. Um, but, you know, it's good to have someone like Rena in a group like that who can take losses with really no issue. Then we had a tag league match with the Dream H team of Mina Shirakawa and Tom Nakano defeating the Wingori team of Hanan and Saya Ida. Uh, Tom pinned Hanan with violent shooting, which is <laughs> a very funny name. Uh, I prefer peaceful shootings, frankly. I'm not touching that one. Um, <laughs> I was thinking during the match, you know, Hanan still very young, you know, at the bottom of the card, but she's sort of starting to get, I'm sort of starting to get the feeling with her of, you know, she's obviously far from, you know, becoming a star, moving up the card or anything like that. But where I'm, I'm now excited to see her wrestle. And I think of her as more of just sort of this person they throw it and it's like, Oh, you're going to lose the match. You know, and I think back to the people that I thought, you know, think back to Momo and Jungle and Azumi, you know, people who were young wrestlers, you sort of watch them. And then there's the moment when you can sort of feel it starting to click for them. And I feel like Hanan is reaching that point or getting close to that point. So I'm excited to see what happens with her. And it's I'm glad that she's gotten this opportunity in the tag league to, you know, get these sort of, not hugely high-profile matches, but higher-profile matches than she would get if she was just being thrown out into the opener. I got to say, Taylor, uh, welcome. I think I've come on two episodes in a row to talk about how good Hanan is now. Uh, so I'm glad that you could finally join me. But yeah, she's good. She was good here. Uh, Momo was the person I thought about, which is like, you know, Momo was the, the baseball player, and then she kind of started to break out a little, and then she kind of had that crazy match with, with Io, you know, right not long before EO left uh, where she like really exploded. And uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying, obviously I think Momo is one of the best wrestlers in the world. So I'm not saying that Hanan is going to become uh, at her level, but you could certainly, it's something to get excited about of like, okay, this might be someone for them in the future. Uh, after the match, uh, Tom says that dream H is going to have another member or another I don't know. Somebody at the next Corican Hall. Uh, ZZ will be the, the new member. Yes, another, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, surprise debut. You know, I've already said this when we talked about the last time this happened and someone was a surprise debut, which now as we've, as if you count up the letters, I guess, we've now had four X's and two Z's. You know, I wish they would just try and, you know, just bring someone out. Um, you know, the the prevailing thought of it is it's going to be Unagi from Tokyo Joshi. I don't think necessarily she's someone where you go, the surprise is, and you sort of gesture and the person comes out and people are like, whoa. You know, I think it's going to be someone where they go, oh, interesting. I don't know that I would save this big sort of surprise who could it be? Because I also think you run the risk of doing this so many times. And, you know, you did it a couple times where it sort of was a, it was interesting. It sort of was, you know, Himika, I think was a very interesting one, 
But you've now debuted Mina Shirakawa, who largely is a, I think we would agree, a lower card wrestler, which is fine. But now you're bringing in Unagi. I can't anticipate Unagi's going to be rocketing up the card immediately. She's probably going to be another lower card wrestler. And I feel like you run the risk of turning people off this idea because I think sometimes doing a surprise debut can be useful. You build it up. Maybe you get someone to come to the show just to say, oh, I have to see who it is. But you run the risk of people saying, okay, I've now learned that really everyone they have is going to debut via this surprise system. So it might be someone who's not a big deal and I don't need to be at the show to see them. You know, bring her out and have Mina say, oh, this is Unagi and she's really, you know, great. And and guess what? She's going to, we're going to team together at the Sendai show, you know, come and check us out or something. I just think there's been no variety at all with the way they've debuted these new signings. And it just seems a bit silly to me. Taylor, all these X's and all these Z's, and all I can say is, why? <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Try, try the fish. That's our show. Okay. <laughs> Whew. Next up, we had a six-woman tag, the Queen's Quest kind of team of Momo Watanabe, Utami Hayashishita, and Riho defeated the Oedotai team of B Priestley, Konami, and Natsuko Tora by disqualification. So Natsuko did the thing where she uh, hanged Momo with the chain. Then B grabbed a hold of her to do the ocean cyclone suplex, but they left the chain around her neck. This didn't make much sense. She did the ocean cyclone suplex, but then the ref saw the chain and disqualified uh, B. So, yeah, after the match, Natsuko said they're done with Queen's Quest because they're getting ready for an artist match. Uh, and B says everybody sucks. Yeah, this is not the f- this is not the only DQ uh, Oedo tie match of this uh, of the past two weeks. And you know, I've said it before during the um, five star Grand Prix. I don't understand the idea of this sort of blatant cheating, where you just lose every match by DQ, and then at the end you're like, you're so stupid as some way to get your heat back. I mean, I don't know if the issue is that they don't think they can beat anyone with this Oedo Tai unit. You know, you would think that maybe they would want Konami, who just turned to to rack up some victories here, and that she could pin someone. I don't know who she would pin on this Queen's Quest team, but that's on the that's on the booking for putting these three people who you can't really pin on the same team. You know, and it's just one of those things. I, Oedo Tai at this point feels like a unit that needs a little bit of pushing. It needs a little bit of, you know, here is why you should care about Oedo Tai because they do this. You know, if they cheated and won, you know, they cheat behind the referee's back, the referee doesn't see it, and then they win. Even that, you know, I don't love that. I don't love the idea of them interfering in all their matches, but it would give you something to sort of hook into to say, ooh, these, they're very dastardly, you know, and I hope someone, you know, turns the tables on them. Where with this, you know, the chains come out and you just say, well, they're going to get DQ'd and they get DQ'd and the match ends and there's really no, they're not being punished in any way that I'm aware of. 
you know, you would think someone would say, hey, stop getting DQ'd, you know, or else, but they're just sort of living by, oh yeah, these matches, they don't really matter. And they don't matter to Oedo Tai, so why should they matter to me? You know, I was watching this match and I get the feeling sort of of that you get sometimes with heel wrestlers where you're just sitting waiting for the interference to happen, waiting for the cheating, waiting for the weapons, because you know it's going to happen because it's been set up and that's what happened. And then they got DQ'd and you sort of shrug your shoulders and you go, well, who did that? Who does that help? Yeah, it was a real bummer because this is maybe the highest profile match Riho's been in. <laughs> and so I was like really enjoying it. I was like, oh, Riho, this is fun. And she was doing some fun stuff. Uh, it's just, it's like, oh, it ties weird. I don't know what the hierarchy is. I don't know who's the potential champion in Oedo Tai. Who in, in this uh, unit could credibly win the title? I mean, you, title. you would have thought a couple of weeks ago it would be Konami. She was coming off the turn. But this, this is really what goes back to that thing where I was talking about, about what is the story. It doesn't involve a title, so what's the storyline here? There really is no storyline with Konami. She sort yeah. of turned and... It's like, woo, she's part of Oedo Tai now. Okay, why don't you, you know, now she's going off to, you know, challenge Julia. But she's going off to challenge Julia and you couldn't even give her a win <laughs> on the show with the where she comes out and Julia's like, I want to face you. Yeah. Like, obviously you can't pin, Mo, you know, Momo, you're like, you can't pin Momo, you can't pin Utami, you can't pin Riho. Then put together a different match. Yeah, awesome. Well, I mean, you can't pin awesome either, right? So, um, yeah, they've got to figure out a different way. But it's, it's but this is also what we've part of the problem we talked about is they've created a group of wrestlers who you can't pin, like you can't pin anyone, or else you sort of destroy their credibility. Ideally, you want wrestlers who occasionally can take losses without totally deflating their momentum. But you've created this system where sort of everyone needs wins and can't afford losses, and it's all happening at the same time, so sort of no one can lose, but also, if no one can lose, no one can win. Right. Well, it's also strange, but you got B Priestley right here, who was not only the Red Belt champion, she beat every top star in the company when she was the Red Belt champion. Undoubtedly did not get over with the fans, but beat everybody. Now she's also on New Japan, uh, but they don't even seem to be pushing her, really, so I just, I don't know I don't know who the star of Oedo Tai is or who the title challenger is. Konami is challenging for a title, but I don't think anybody on earth thinks they're going to put a title on her at this point. All right, next up, we had the future of stardom title match. Micah defeated Sayakamitani with the Enka Otoshi. Uh, after the match, Sayaida came out and challenged for the future title. Yeah, I thought this was a, a good match. You know, I think I've covered really everything about, you know, all my thoughts on Saya Kamatani, you know, which is that I think now that she's at the point where she still really has to learn, you know, I thought this was a fairly good match. I wasn't blown away by it, but I thought it was good. But I think a lot of it is going to be, I think Saya Kamatani is going to wrestle a lot of matches sort of at this level of, you know, you think three and a quarter, three and a half until she sort of unlocks that thing which I've talked about, which is sort of putting it all together, which may come soon. It may come later. I don't know. 
But it was a good match, but I wasn't blown away. Yeah, I enjoyed the match. Um, poor Sai. You think she's ever hit that running shooting star press? Like one time? It Well, and it's. I think now she... I don't know if she's expected to do it, but I feel like she's added a lot of other things to her arsenal that look very impressive that you might say, okay, this thing... Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C doesn't look I mean I see what she's going for and maybe she you know as she improves and grows maybe it does become really spectacular but you think there's some things especially just to have some variety that you would say okay maybe we de-emphasize that which I think she does in every single match she's in and we emphasize some of these other things that are very spectacular over this thing that I agree with you and sometimes looks you know, sometimes it happens and I'm sort of holding my breath uh, <laughs> going, oh, oh, get it. And then, of course, she does. She has, you know, it hasn't gone terribly wrong. No, she just never makes the contact that she's trying to make. Um, but still, it was a good match that I enjoyed. My only thing here is I saw, you know, I had said previously, I thought the card for the show was pretty dire, which I stand by. And people were throwing this match back at me. No, there's this big future of stardom title match on the show. And I just want to say that you liking a match does not make it a drawing match. Like I would like to see them do uh Momo Watanabe versus Micah in the main event at Corquin and no fucking body would come to see it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, our our personal preferences aren't always uh, what everybody else wants to see. Uh, certainly not a bunch of Westerners who are uh, Joshi fans. So uh, next up we had, let's see, we had Shuri and Natsupoy, uh from Dona Del Mundo defeating the Stars team of Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid. Shuri submitted Kid with the Blue Dragon, a dragon sleeper that looked uh, a lot like the dragon sleeper Mayu sometimes finishes matches with. Yeah, interesting. I like this match. I was much more, um, obviously Mayu is great, but, you know, I still think, and I will stand by it, Aaron, I know you've sort of come around to it, that Starlight Kid is really, I have a feeling with everything going on that she's sort of going to be the diamond in the rough a little bit now. She's very young, so it's, you know, there's still time, but I just think that she's, she is the exact sort of wrestler sh- that should really be, you know, I'm not saying they should 
throw her up the card tomorrow. That should be at the top of the card because I think that she has a lot of appeal to a lot of different people. You know, she's fun. She's a great wrestler. She has the mask, the, you know, different looking mask. She's got an interesting look to her. She's very energetic. I just think that she's really a, if it were me, I don't know that, as I said, I do it immediately. She's still very young. You know, you've got some other people you're working on, but I think that she, I think if, if in four years we look back and Starlight Kid hasn't at least had a chance at the top of the card, something has gone wrong. Uh, I really liked this match. Uh, probably, I'd probably go four stars on the match. thought it was really excellent. Um, I especially thought the Shuri and Not Spoiled team was like pretty impressively, um, I don't know, together. They just had like good teamwork, I thought, uh, for a team that is, is new to stardom. So I thought that was good. I agree that that kid was good here too. I like, I mean, you gave it a pretty long time horizon, so I can agree with that. Uh, assuming she sticks around, I think she's rumored to have taken uh, college entrance exams. Um, so perhaps she has something else in mind for her future. But yeah, if she sticks around in wrestling, then I think she ought to be um, pretty high level. I don't know about, see, I don't know that I see her as like a main champion. But she's still very young, so she certainly could get there. But uh, I just thought this was super fast-paced, hard-hitting, all the stuff I like. Didn't last too long. Didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, 11 minutes, no, 13 minutes, 20 seconds. Yeah, so it was good. But as you were saying earlier, to what end? What was the point of this? Where does this go next? Uh, Nowhere, as far as I can tell, right? They already did Shuri and Mayu. I mean, I guess there's going to be a Nuts Boy and Kid match maybe at some point. Uh, you know, Kid did a pre-match promo talking about how they're both going for the high-speed title, so maybe they'll do that. But um, it just kind of sucks when, like, your your semi-main event is a really good match, but it doesn't necessarily play any role in, the uh, in like, a story that is helping elevate someone. After the match, Shuri challenged B Priestley, so that match is going to happen on the Sendai show that we'll talk about. And then in the main event, Julia retained the white belt uh, by defeating Himika with the glorious driver. Uh, and after the match, she challenged Konami as she talked about. Um, I don't know. I hope it's not just me. I wasn't that blown away by this match, Taylor. I thought it was good. Nothing really special. Picked up toward the end, right after that Samoan drop off the second rope. Uh, but the, the the biggest flaw of this match is there was never a moment in it where I thought Himika might win. And I think that is a real shame because Himika's whole thing is how much bigger she is than everybody else. I feel like it would have been really easy to do a monster beatdown on the smaller Julia, and then Julia has to really fight back at the end. And that wasn't really the way they did it. It was more more of a trade-off than uh, than something that would have been able to make it seem like Himika had a chance to win. But, you know, part of the problem is you got two people who aren't very experienced and you're expecting them to uh, to deliver in a Corquin main event. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you as, as I didn't think 
ever really there was any chance of Julia losing the title. I know that there was some discussion that some people thought that Himika had a chance, but I didn't see it. The match didn't give me that sense. I really like Himika. She's got a lot of potential. To me, she has these things that she does in matches that to me come off as very, you know, goofy uh, a bit. You know, we talked about a few months back, maybe the facial expressions, which I found sort of strange. They had that mid-match. Julia and Himika had a mid-match sort of slap um, exchange where I sort of understood what they were going for with the idea of sort of the matches where you're tired and, you know, you're sort of slugging it out you know, blow for blow, but there was just something about it. You know, it was just sort of like slap, 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 slap. And then they would sort of crawl around the mat for a little bit. And then they would come back. It just had a weird where I could see what they were trying to do, but it felt like, as you mentioned, two wrestlers who are still on the less experienced side. I mean, you're talking about two wrestlers who are having to put together a match themselves. I could see what they were going for, but I felt like it never got to that point that they were trying to reach. Yes. Uh, Strongly agreed there. Um, I did enjoy the Julia promo after the match. uh, She said, I came here a year ago and there was nothing I could say. I don't know how perfect that translation is, but if it is correct, you know, like exactly what she was trying to say, then I enjoyed it, how she said that. Uh, She said she was the bad guy. A lot of people hate her, uh, but thank you to those who looked out for me and took care of me. I just thought it was very sweet on one hand, and I just liked it from that perspective. But also, it is pretty amazing how far Julia has come. Uh, Her promos were very bad, I thought, (laughs) when she showed up, just as far as like her demeanor. I don't speak perfect Japanese, so I can't like say, you know, how uh, exactly she comes across. But she didn't seem comfortable. And now she definitely seems like she knows she belongs there. She's, you know, moved on a lot from a lot of the um, controversy around her move to stardom. And she just seems like she's doing well. So I'm just, I'm glad uh, to get to watch her. All right. We will go from that. I don't, I don't know that we really need to talk about tag league, Taylor, your thoughts on tag league. Yeah. I don't think we really need to, go over much i mean i think we can sort of just briefly touch on the standings and you know they've got a few shows coming up but i think it's only three shows and then the whole thing is over so we've sort of reached the end it's it is sort of a period of stardom where it's not a big hyped you know the tag league is never really hugely hyped Um, yeah so we can sort of just briefly touch on it and then move on all right, so the standings, the blue block, Momoaz with six points. Color Me Pop, that's Death and Riho, four points. Dream H has four points. Grab the Top, Shuri and Himika has four points. Black Widows, Konami, and B has three points. And then over in the red block, not as many points to go around. Uh, Julia and Micah with two points. Mayu and Kid with two points. Utami and Saya Kamitani with one. Saya, Ida, and Hanan, no points. Natsuko and Saki, no points. Uh, but they still have a few shows left, as you mentioned, and then the finals are on the 8th. Okay, and then the big stardom show coming up is the Sendai Cinderella show uh, in Miyagi at the Sendai Sun Plaza. 
this is apparently their big show. So I guess we'll find out uh, how big it's going to be. The main match is Mayu versus Utami for the red belt. Uh, do you agree with me, Taylor, that Utami has to win the match? Um, I think Utami should win the match. Um, I, I don't know that she will because I know that I've had previous times in stardom where I thought, oh, so-and-so definitely should win the title, and they haven't. Um, I will be interested to see what this show does in terms of attendance. I, if it were me booking, I would give it to Otami to try and give someone, look, we know Mayu is a star in the company. She is established. If she loses this match, she's not going to lose her luster or her aura. And if things go badly for whatever reason, you can always heat her up pretty quick and get her back to the top of the card. So to me, I would put it on Utami to to try something and see, hey, maybe we could get something with Utami. You'd have a bunch of fresh matchups because obviously she hasn't been holding the title. You know, but I always hesitate with stardom saying, well, she has to win. That's definitely going to be the outcome because I would not put it past stardom at all to keep the title on Mayu and just keep the, you know, keep the ship pointed in the same direction and keep going that direction. Yeah. Uh, I just, as you said, I think it's a chance to make Utami into a bigger star that can be one of your top three. And, uh, you know, you're right that you can heat her up, but, uh, and she's very young, but at, at some point you wait too long to, to pull the trigger on the big, the big win. And so I'd hate well, to see them do that with Utami. No, I was saying they could heat Mayu back up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah, that. that Mayu could lose the title, you know, if you give Utami three or four months and all of a sudden you go, oh, my God, for whatever reason, this is a disaster. Right. Um, not that I think it would be. You could always say, well, Mayu's coming back and she's going to challenge for the title again and she wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then you're right back in the position you were anyway. Right. Um, or if anything, you might then have given Mayu a couple months off and maybe you've developed a few more fresh mashups where if Mayu keeps holding the title, eventually you're going to run through everyone, which is, is naturally what happens when you have a title holder who holds the title for a long time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, the white belt match is going to be Julia versus Konami. I think, I guess I already said this, but I just don't think there's any chance Konami wins. Yeah, I think it should be. I'm looking forward to the match. I think it'll be a really good match, but I think... At this point, I don't see on the horizon the moment when Julia loses this title. I think she's probably going to hold it for a while, and you know, hopefully that helps really build her up. But there isn't someone on this roster I'm sitting saying, "Oh, this person is coming," and once they get to that level, they are going to you know topple Julia. So I think she's going to be the champion for a while longer. And we have for the SWA title, B Priestley versus Shuri. Uh, I think this is interesting. Shuri is now a full-time uh, stardom roster member as of November 1st. Uh, but the SWA title, well, I guess I'm not exactly sure. So the other person, is it just of a different nationality? Because I guess 
<laughs> this might be a real technicality, but Shuri is half Filipino, right? <laughs> can they can they put the title on her and get away with her wrestling uh, fully Japanese wrestlers for the title? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it because my thought was, well, B is going to hold this title for a while. But as you mentioned, B is in New Japan. She's getting a little bit of rub from that, I guess, I hope. So would you take the title off B at this point when maybe you could have her as the title holder as maybe you hope that B gets more involved in New Japan and maybe get some eyes onto stardom to have it to, to say, oh, B, yeah, you like B? Oh, she's the champion. Um, you know, regardless of what the champion, you know, which champion she is, you know, she is the champion. So come check out her title matches if you like her in New Japan. Yeah, that's very interesting to me because there has to be some institutional anxiety just from the fact that they as I said, had her beat literally every top star in the company and she never got over with the fans. Uh, so the Bushiroad people are not going to have lived through that. Uh, and they may also think, yeah, but we're trying to bring in new fans who maybe weren't watching at that time. So I think with the New Japan thing, I would give her a shot and see if it works out. Uh, so I would be skeptical of, of taking the title off of her here. But also, you know, I think Shuri is someone that you don't want to kill too early. And this would be her losing two big title matches in a row. Yeah, that's true as well. And actually the next match, we have sort of a similar thing where, yes, where, you know, you don't know where it, do you want her to lose another title match? Now the SWA title certainly is not the most prestigious title in stardom. So maybe they think, Oh, well we can get away with her losing it because it's not a huge title um anyway and we can you know build her back up you know now that she signed on full time maybe that's part of it that they you know maybe weren't planning that far ahead for her until she officially said okay I'll sign I don't know if that's the case but I would you know maybe there is that technicality you mentioned but I would think that B would keep the title yeah that makes sense to me uh but I'm a B Priestley in-ring defender. I think this match will be good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, next up, a special singles match, Momo Watanabe versus Himeka. Uh, this is something that I think is pretty interesting as far as like a, a styles clash. I'm not sure exactly what it looks like. Um, you know, Himeka is closer to the top of the card than Momo is. I would expect Himeka to win. Also, you can kind of rehab her a little after losing to Julia. Um, but it will hurt my heart as always. Now, Aaron, there is a thought. I had some discussion in the Voices of Wrestling Discord that people think that maybe this is going to be the beginning of the rise of Momo back to the top of the card and winning a title. But from your what you just said, you don't see it that way. I find it sort of hard to believe that they would put Himika in a match where she would lose again after losing a title match. Um, but do you, do you think there is a plan to get Momo back up the card in the next few months? No. Are these the same people who were part of the majority of people who picked Momo to win the five star <laughs> in the VOW pick them? Uh, look, Nobody wants Momo at the top of the card more than me. 
literally no one uh except you know momo i guess maybe and her her close friends and family but i can't imagine i mean what have we seen that indicates that they're about to get back behind her she hasn't won any big matches uh i i just i don't see it yeah i i think for a number of reasons this is the most interesting sort of whatever the outcome is it's the most interesting to me i mean mayu mayu utami obviously is the top of the card that's probably the most interesting but this of the sort of non-main event matches you know does momo win if momo wins you know how do they what is the path forward for himika who loses two big matches in a row if himika wins is that sort of the sign that momo isn't you know, there's been sort of the hope of, oh, well, Momo's just sort of taking a break right now and she'll be back up the card, you know, in a little bit. Is that sort of the big indication of, nope, that's not happening? So it will be interesting. I think Himika in a match with someone very experienced like Momo, we talked about that match with Julia, you know, didn't quite click, but it was two people who are sort of on the less experienced side, I think, with someone like Momo. I think the match will be very good, whatever the outcome is. I agree with that. I just, I don't see anything that indicates Momo is going to be moved back up the card. When Bushiro took over, the reporting at the time was they weren't interested in Momo uh, as a top star. And everything that's happened since then has gone along with that. So I kind of just see Momo, she's going to be the the jungle Kiona, right? Of someone who has really great matches, the fan base continually or continuously rather wants her pushed and it just never happens. That's just what I see happening. Although she's 21 or whatever. So, I mean, it's hard to uh, put a cap on her career right now, but uh, that's my view. Uh, high speed title, Azumi defending against Gokigen death. Taylor has no comment. Um, I mean, Azumi's <laughs> winning um, yes. this, correct? And I uh, think, yeah, of course. Gokiken has been um, very divisive. <laughs> I mean, I mean, many people sort of at a base level don't um, like clowns, but. Uh, <laughs> Not where I expected you to go, really. But yeah, that's true. I can't argue with it. I, I don't really, you know, I would think you might throw someone in here that, I don't know, just sort of someone else that maybe you could have a good match and maybe heat them up. I think sort of Kaori is where she is, which is a easy loss. Like I don't see anyone looking at this match and saying, Ooh, I've, I've got to get to the show to see this match. Now look, it's not anywhere near the top of the card, but it just sort of seems like a thrown out match to fill a spot on the card to get to the, the right number of matches. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to do high speed matches, I'd rather see the match with, uh, with Knott's boy, who is not on this card. Is that right? Um, I think it is right, unless I missed. Uh... Well, I hope there's a reason why, because that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, that's so- something I'd be more interested in. Or Meiho Shizuki, <laughs> I'd be more interested in. Uh, Death, though, is... I mean, it's going to be fun. It'll be interesting. So I'm fine with it. Um, a couple of six person matches. There's Tom Nakano, Mina Shirakawa, and ZZ versus Natsuko Tora, Saki Kashima, and Rina. 
you know, I don't. Ex- we kind of all know how that's going to go. Uh, except, I guess Rena could take a pinfall now that she exists in Oedo Tai. Uh, but the big thing here will be the debut of ZZ. But why did I write in the notes? And I said this too that ZZ was going to debut at the next Coracle. And I guess I was wrong about that. Um, next up, another. Well, well, she could debut at the next Corican because the next Corican is the day before the Sunday Cinderella show. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which that also makes a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, next up, Starlight Kid, Riho, and Hanan versus Sayakamitani, Hina, and Lady C, the, the new, I guess, rookie debut uh, for stardom. Apparently, Mayu Iwatani's protege. I think we've seen her around the ring as like uh, the short or kind of like, I don't know, chin length, uh, straight black hair. Uh, just could notice her for a while as not being any of the people I'm used to seeing. And I guess that's who she is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, being Mai's protege, if she, you know, comes out and is, you know, maybe a little bit higher than the usual rookie level. I mean, debuting um, on this fairly big show. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I sort of like saying the name Lady C. It's yes, sort of nice. a, sort of an interesting name. When it first happened, there was a comment in the Voice of Wrestling Discord that the thought was it was another mystery debut because on the match graphics, it was just the sort of, you know, black um, silhouette. And so it was thought that there was um, another mystery coming, which really would have blown my mind. But luckily, <laughs> uh, it's just the rookie debuting. The reason why it's a silhouette is because they don't have a roster, um, or I would assume they don't have a roster photo for her yet. So clearly that's, I think, the highlight of this match is seeing how Lady C does. She's like 26, right? Did I read that correctly? Ooh, I don't even uh, I don't even know. I so I'll say, true. yeah, she's 26. <laughs> I think it's true that she's a little older. So, yeah, we'll see. The last big, like, older rookie debut they had was Utami Hayashishita. That worked out pretty well. Although I don't know what Lady C's uh, sporting background is, but we'll see. And then also the last match we have on the list, the future of stardom title, Micah versus Saya Ida. I think Saya has improved. And I expect this will be uh, workmanlike, good, you know, nothing great, but it'll be, you know, this is a good card. It's a card that there's really nothing um, that I necessarily want to skip. It just doesn't reach that like, oh, this is a big show card. I think it's clearly, I mean, they've created a match in Mayu Utami at the top of the card where it isn't a foregone conclusion. You know, I think Mayu Shuri... Um, at the Yokohama show, I think it was fairly clear, you know, maybe it wasn't a hundred percent, but it was fairly clear. I think that Mayu was going to win that match, especially because at the time Shuri hadn't announced anything about staying with stardom. This, I think there is, as we discussed, there is a world where you could see, see either outcome. So I think that really is going to be the big draw of this show. And I think because of that, they've sort of haven't, you know, I agree with you that I think it's a good card. It's, you know, going to be a good show. You're probably going to have at least a handful of very good matches. But I think maybe they haven't emptied, you know, it feels like for that Yokohama show, they were like, here is the big matches we can put out all at once. 
where here it feels like we've got a big draw main event and we can sort of give, as I talked about, maybe a few of those 1B matches down the card because we've got a 1A match at the top. Yes, uh, I agree. So, I mean, like, in in past days, this would be a Corican card. That's like, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And even then, the old Corquins, you know, would be stronger. Uh, but it's a good card. It's a show I'm looking forward to. All right, while we're doing previews, let's jump over into the Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestle Princess show. This is a weird show in that it's going to be on the 7th, so it'll be about a week old by the time we record again. So people may not be uh, that interested in it by then, but uh, it's a good time for us to preview it. So let's run down the card. Uh, the opening match, Suzume and Sena Shiori versus Moka Miyamoto and Mei Suruga showing up in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah, I'm excited to see Mei Suruga in Tokyo Joshi. Uh, you know, I sort of selfishly wish it was a little bit higher up the card because I think that Mei is talented enough to hang with, I think, the the big talents in Tokyo Joshi. But frankly, I'm excited to see her here. I hope that she gets... Um, more opportunities here and elsewhere because I think that she would be a valuable um, addition, especially to Tokyo Joshi. She has the sort of personality um, that Tokyo Joshi looks for in their wrestlers while also being incredibly strong in ring. Um, So yeah, just that's the standout to me. Happy to see her um, get this opportunity. Then we have... Uh, Marika Kobashi and Haruna Neko versus Pam Harajuku and Mahiro Kiryu. Yeah, Marika Ko- Kobashi returning to Tokyo Joshi. I think we talked about this last show, but one sort of exciting thing about some of the debuts, some of not the debuts, some of the departures that Tokyo Joshi has had is that it has opened up spots on the cards for people like May and Marika Kobashi coming back. Um, sort of new opportunities. And to me, I look at this whole card and to me, it feels like a very fun sort of fresh card to me, especially down here in the, you know, in the undercard spots, there's a lot of really interesting matchups. Um, and this is one excited to see uh, what Marika has um, on her return. Next up, we have Raku versus Yuna Manase, who's making her return to Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah, glad to see her um, back um, and able to, you know, do Tokyo Joshi as well as she did the Stardom show. And she's done a few other shows. You know, I've always liked her, so I'm happy to see her back in Tokyo Joshi, especially for sort of this big show that feels like the culmination of a lot of effort from the company that obviously she was um, a part of for a while. So glad to see her on the card should be a fun match. The one um, sort of, I guess, deep undercard uh, singles match. Yeah. And I mean, I would think with Yuna, uh, you know, being back, but not being a full-time roster member, a good chance for Raku to get a nice little win. Yeah, and I think it would it might be Raku's first singles win. I don't know. Someone correct me if that's not correct, but it, it <laughs> I think I think that is the case. I think that is the case. It would be her first singles win, so it's a good chance for her to get it. Uh and then this card really picks up. 
apologies to uh, Matt SDL for saying that after the Palm match. But Miyu Yamashita and Aja Kong versus Maki Ito and Sari. This was supposed to be Mako Satomura. Yeah, a big uh, a big week for Aja Kong. She has this match, and then we'll talk about in a little bit. She has a uh, seedling title match. I mean, to me, this match, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think it'll be um, a lot of action. I think it'll be very good. You know, Seri and Aja Kong last year in Diana had a sort of legendary match that never made tape. There was a very brief footage of it, and there were some photos um, that looked very good, and people were hoping the match would come out, and it never did. Um, but as I said, excited to see Seri here back again in Tokyo Joshi for the first time in a number of months and facing off, um, you know, Miyu against Seri should be a lot of fun. Aja there with Maki Ito. So I think it's going to be fun, but also I think it will be very well worked, be very well worked in ring. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I saw the last Sari Tokyo Joshi Pro match, which was the, the nuts boy match, right? <laughs> Yeah, correct. In in Corquin Hall, so, uh, yeah, and that was great. I mean, Sarid like doesn't take matches off, so, uh, and her in there with Miyu is is pretty freaking exciting. Like seeing those two go at each other. So, I'm I'm all on board for this one. Uh, then we have Hyper Masao versus Saki Akai. Yeah, this should be uh, another fun match. Interesting to see uh, Saki Akai in uh, Tokyo Joshi, uh, something that doesn't happen too frequently, uh, but it looks like Saki Akai is uh, traveling around a bit. She'll be on the Seedling Show, that same Seedling Show that Aja Kong will be on. I'm sure that this will get very uh, wacky at points, um, but I think it also has the potential to be very good. I think Saki Akai is someone who got the reputation of um, not being great in ring. And I think she's really turned that uh, around this year in DDT and elsewhere that she has become a very, you know, solid, if not very good in ring worker. So I'm, this is one match I'm really looking forward to. And we're also going to have the international princess title tournament semifinals and final. Uh, we talked about this last episode. The two semi matches are Hikari Noah and Mirai Mayumi, and then Shoko Nakajima versus Yuki Kamafuku. Uh, I went with Hikari and Shoko as my finalist. Is did you go the same, Taylor? Yeah, to- I did. I did the same as well. Now, did you choose Shoko for the to come out victorious in the end? Huh. What was did your I? thought? <laughs> what did I pick? Uh, I think I might have on reflection. I don't know. I feel like it'd be a good time to... I think you said this. I think I'm just stealing your take now. I think it'd be a good time to uh, take someone like Hikari, who hasn't been on that level, and give her a little boost and let her get a run with this title. Yes, that was my thought. I'm, um, I'm stealing it. That you did steal, so I'm just going to say ditto. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, they'll do both those semis and the final match on the show. Then we have the Princess uh, Tag Team titles. The champs, Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe, taking on uh, Naroka Tenma and Yuki Aino. Yeah, this should be a um, another, I, I feel like a broken record at this point. It is their biggest show, so it makes sense. This should be another good match. I, um, 
I could see the title titles changing hands, although I think I would keep it on Rika and Miu. I think they've been a very um, good team, and I think they have sort of more um, more in them as champions, but certainly um, Tenma and I, you know, more than capable of winning the titles would not surprise me, um, but should be should be a very good match. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is what you want out of a big card, right? I mean, it's stacked uh, with all their all their top wrestlers. Now, they've lost several wrestlers recently, uh, but still put on not just a, a great card, but it's also representative of the promotion. So uh, good on them. And then in the main event, the Princess of Princess title, Yuka Sakazaki defending against Mizuki. Uh, I I don't know. I, well, we talked a little bit about this match, but who, who do you got here? I don't know. I was thinking of this as I was setting up the um, stuff for this episode. It's, you know, it's one I could see going either way. I could see them giving it to Mizuki. You know, she's been near the top of these uh, Tokyo Joshi shows as tag champion with Yuka. Um, I don't know. I'm really... I'm really torn. I could certainly see Yuga keeping it, and I wouldn't be surprised if Mizuki wins. Maybe they try and finally... You know, I think Yuka at this point is sort of an established quantity in uh, Tokyo Joshi. So maybe with the, you know, International Princess title tournament, if they do end up doing Hikari Noah, maybe they do try another and say, hey, let's try a bunch of new people at the top of the card. You know, we have some space because people have left. So, you know, it could it it could be Mizuki, certainly. I mean, but I think either way, I think this will be, to me, the match of the night. I have very, very high expectations for how good this will be, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this match. You got to make stars, baby. It's You got to go with Mizuki here. Uh, Matt STL tells me she's the most popular person, um, like in Japan, like when they're doing you know, checkies after the show, Mizuki has the longest line. So you, you don't have to worry about the fans rejecting her as champion and you can make a big star. You've got a built in uh, story with the magical sugar rabbits and, and her winning here. Um, either way, you're going to have this great moment in the middle of the ring afterwards, but I think it's going to be even better. If Mizuki wins, you're going to have Yuka overjoyed for her friend, even though she's lost. Uh, I just think that's the best moment you can put together on this big show. And it makes sense uh, for all the other reasons that we talked about. So, uh, and they're losing, they're losing some people. So uh, luckily for them, they're still a company that they have multiple people up top who are like legitimate champions. They're going to have to do some work on more credible challengers. I think now that the rosters thinned out a little bit, Uh, but it's a company that, you know, I don't like it as much as stardom. I don't like it as much, you know, wrestling wise as a lot of the other uh, promotions, but it knows what it is. And I think it succeeds very well on its own terms. So uh, I, I always trust Tokyo Joshi Pro to do the thing that makes sense. Uh, and to me, the thing that makes the most sense is for Mizuki to walk away with the title. All right. Now we will get back into some of the other shows, our, our spark notes, as we call it. Uh, I know we are already running pretty long, but we will 
uh, be brief as far as some of these shows that have been going on. Uh, do you want to start with uh, Be a Hero Girls? I did promise on Twitter that we were going to talk about it. Yes, and we will talk. We can start with it. Um, you know, it's not a big show in terms of, you know, it's the first show from this um, new group. So it isn't like storylines are happening or anything like that. But I thought it was a very um, fun show. I thought it was really interesting to see the sort of mix of talent that they had in terms of getting, you know, actress girls, um, ice ribbon. You know, I really like the the Umasaki uh, Mayukihi against Madeline and um, Ram Kaicho match that was on the undercard, of course, in the main event. Seeing best friends tag is always a lot of fun. Um, they defeated Itsuki Aoki and Risa Sara, so that was fun with a lot of sort of ice ribbon flavor there. Aaron, what did you think of the show? Pretty much agree. I thought it was a lot of fun. Like it was a very easy watch, about two hours or so total ring time. Uh, the match that you didn't mention that I really liked was the Shuri and Rina Shingaki match. They did a lot of fun, uh, like limb work. It just it really stood out from the rest of the card as being a different kind of match than what everybody else was trying to do. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I was struck during the uh, Haruko Imasaki match. Like, is she a big star? Like, is she becoming a big star? Well, she's still very, she's still fairly young, and she wrestles in Diana, a company yeah, that well, until a few sure. months ago had almost no presence unless yes. you were literally at the shows. But, I mean, I think back to, you know, obviously Sari is back now and doing the Diana shows, but to me she could be on that path if she becomes that sort of big breakout star of the company. You know, she's still very young, but to me she is – super talented and even Madeline on this show, who is also um, a less experienced wrestler. I was super impressed with, I think that she's been having a lot of great matches on the small sort of Diana YouTube shows. So I actually think, you know, Diana, I think we're getting close to the end of the year. Diana is not going to be winning any sort of like promotion of the year awards, but I think with, you know, they're airing more shows. They have this sort of undercurrent of, Interesting talent. They've brought back Sari for however long they have her. I think they're a super interesting promotion to watch and follow because of all these different things that are happening at once. I agree. And they've had some fun shows lately and they have like title matches that are very interesting. So uh, yeah, something to watch, but I don't know, it just struck me and I've, I've enjoyed watching her before. I was like, wait, I mean, I don't, she is 19, as you said, very young. Uh, but I was like, hmm, she really seems like, like the charisma is coming together for the the ring work is coming together for. Uh, I think she could be a big deal in the future, but we'll have to see. Uh, we hopefully, have, hopefully it's not because Sari uh, recruits her to WWE. Yeah, I didn't even think that. Now I'm mad that you put that <laughs> idea in my brain. I'm so but sorry. I did want to discuss before we leave the show, probably the thing that struck me most was uh, – and you mentioned the Siri match that she won a bike um, after the match. Did you happen to see, see oh, that? Aaron? Oh boy, did I? Yes, of course. <laughs> I think she was confused as we were um, <laughs> when that bike came out into the ring um, that she, I don't know if she won the bike or she was given the bike or what happened with the bike. But all of a sudden after the match ended this sort of, as you mentioned, you know, limb work, very technical match. The match ends and all of a sudden there's a bicycle in the ring. 
What's funny is I literally did not blink at it. Like I was like, oh yeah, they're bringing her a bike. You know, it's just like at this point in Joshi, uh, some wild stuff happens sometimes. It's like, okay, she won a bike. That's all I got on that. But it was, yeah. I'm looking forward to their next show. It's good. Uh, presumably Shuri will not be back. But uh, other than that, uh, they certainly were able to put together a lot of very talented people. So it should be fun. All right. I will, uh, Taylor, I will defer to you on the other shows you want to cover here in Sparknotes. Yeah. So we'll just quickly go through. There's a number of shows that happened, but haven't made air. So I haven't seen them. Uh, so I'll just touch on them briefly. Seedling had a show, um, which is building to their Corican show. Um, the big match there, Seri and Yoshiko against Aja Kong and Honori Hana. As I mentioned, building to the title match between Yoshiko and Aja Kong at the upcoming, the imminent um, Seedling Corican Hall show. Uh, Sendai Girls had a show on October 27th that did not air, but interestingly enough, the big match for me on that show was Mako Satomura and Mei Hoshizuki tagging together against Hiroyo Matsumoto and Ayame Sasamura, which went to a time limit draw, which I thought was very interesting. So it seems at least um, on first glance that they may be protecting Meiho Shizuki. She won that rookie tournament. You, I would have figured looking at this match before that she would take the fall, um, but it went to a time limit draw. Uh, Ice Ribbon had the Risa Sarah Extreme Nuclear Battle on 1024. That actually will be airing on Nico uh, Pro on November 9th. I'm looking forward to check that out. Then Ice Ribbon had the October 31st Corican. We were hoping to cover it on this show because it had a super interesting card. Unfortunately, it didn't air live and it hasn't made tape anywhere. Um, but the main event was Suzu Suzuki defeating Haruka Umasaki for um, the Ice Ribbon title. Uh, Risa Sarah defeated Maya Yukihi in that TLC match uh, for the Fantastic Ice title. Um, and Kurumi Hiragi and Mochi Miyagi successfully defending their tag titles against Rina y- Yamashita and Mike Gaozaki. Um, I'm hoping that makes tape soon because it's a super interesting, we didn't even talk about best friends against Sukushi and Sierra Yano. Uh, super interesting card that I hope makes tape soon. Um, Actress Girls had the 1018 show, Miyuki Takase um, going against Sakaguchi for the title. Uh, Takase emerging victorious. Uh, it looks like Andres Miyagi is going to be an actress around Actress Girls at least for a little while. She had a title match against Takase on November 1st. That hasn't come out yet, but there were some comments after the match that looks like Miyagi will be sticking around at least for a little bit. So that will be interesting. I think Miyagi is um, sort of an interesting case. She went from Sendai to stardom and never really caught on there, Um, has been appearing on the Just Tap Out shows. But I have always thought that she's very talented and would be useful to a lot of companies. So I'm glad to see her sort of hook on to Actress Girls. She's apparently going to drop the face paint. Yes. So it will be it. It's interesting to see if this is sort of a long term thing where this will now be her home and maybe they sort of rehab her into something different. Um 
you know, maybe just thinking that the, the sort of unsuccessful stardom run, maybe it's just time to start over and see if, you know, something else catches. Yeah. It's just interesting because I feel like she's always been very, uh, she acts like she wears a mask. Like she's very protective of her, of her face, you know, like in pictures, you never see her showing her face. You That's know? right. Yeah. And so I guess she's going to just completely strip off the, uh, the paint and, uh, show her face, I suppose. So I just find that interesting. Yeah. And it will, it's another, you know, actress girls has a, has a nice roster. I think, I think they have a number of people who are very talented, um, who are a bit less experienced. So I think it's interesting to bring in Miyagi, someone who is experienced in Sendai girls in stardom, um, to this roster and hopefully give them a little boost. Um, Wave had on October 24th, the first of the three DualShock Wave tournament matches. Um, I briefly mentioned it and uh, shouted it out on our Twitter and linked to the match. Unfortunately, that match, they've taken it down for whatever reason. I don't know. I thought it was a really super fun match. Um, Yumi Oka was really great. She was throwing suplexes. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Hibiki and Seri won the first fall, which means they advanced to that final three-way match um, to win the tournament. On um, October 26th, they had sort of the Siri farewell show, um, which featured Siri versus um, Hirota which is the usual Hirota. Um, she came out dressed as Siri, um, which was very interesting. And then they had Siri go up against Nagisa Nosaki, uh, which interestingly went to a time limit draw in 14 minutes and 44 seconds. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a significance there to 1444. There may be. Um, if you know of a significance, let me know, but I thought that was interesting. And then boss to Mammy, um, won on November 1st, won the second dual shock wave tournament match. Um, so they will be going, they are the champions. If they win, they will get to name their own, um, challengers, but they will also be going to that final three-way match. And then Choco Pro season four in the in the swing of season four. They had a Halloween show um, last week that was a lot of fun. Everyone dressed up in costumes. They had a uh, sort of battle royal where, you know, the usual is you would throw someone over the top rope. But for this one, they had to throw people out the window at Ichigawa Chocolate Square, which was a lot of fun. So. Chuckle Pro just sort of chugging along at this point into the 60s. I can't believe they've run over 60 or they will have run over 60 shows at this point, which is sort of hard to believe. All right. And let's look at some of the shows that are coming up over the next couple of weeks. First one on our list is Seedlings Corquin Hall Show on November 4th, as you were talking about the build uh, that they're already making to it. That's right. They have that Yoshiko Aja Kong match. That will be interesting to see. Um, just to sort of see where Aja is in terms of putting together a match. You know, she had that great match with uh, Hikaru Shida a few years back in Ice Ribbon. 
Um, but it will be interesting. Obviously, she's um, been around for a while, um, getting up there in age. So it'll be interesting to see what she brings to that match. They're also having a tag title match, the best friends defending against Ayami Sasamura and you, which should be a lot of fun. And then um, another big match, Seri will be on the card. She's been hanging in Seedling Alachi will be facing Hanori Hana. So that should be um, a a pretty fun match. Should give Hana uh, an interesting experience. Aaron, as you said, Seri never takes a match off. So I'm sure there will be some hard hits in that one um, for Hanori Hana. Um, stardom in between there. Um, in between now and that Sendai Cinderella show has a few um, tag league shows on November 3rd, November 7th, and then the tag league finals, which are November 8th. Um, and then they are at Cork in the day before the Sendai Cinderella show um, on November 14th. I, I'm not aware that anything has been announced for that Cork and Hall show yet. It will be interesting to see what they do, seeing as their sort of quote-unquote big show is the very next day. Um, but it is their only Corican Hall show for the month of November. It's going to be a bunch of preview tags, and it's going to be um, irritating. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, you know, Mayu will team with whoever against Utami and somebody. Uh, I'm already not looking forward to it, but yeah, they haven't announced anything for it. And it's 12 days away or well, 11 we'll days away in, uh, in Japan. Yeah. But we'll see with, you know, it being the only Cork and hall show of the month to see whether going back down to what, you know, I don't know, maybe say, well, this is the one chance to go to Cork in this month. And, you know, it will be interesting to see, cause we've talked about running two as, you know, a high calling and now they're back down to one. Um, so it'll be yeah. interesting to see what the card is and what the sort of reaction and attendance is in reaction to that card. Yeah, I agree. But I, yeah, I'm, I am uh, concerned about the card considering that we don't know any of it. And they have, as we've mentioned, a huge show for them the next day. Yeah. Um, oh, oh I was just going to, I'm just going to move on. Oz Academy oh, yeah. on the 8th. Oz Academy on the 8th has the um, finals of their mini tag tournament. They've been doing Sekigun, Mayumi Ozaki, and Sayori No going up against Kaho Kobayashi and Kekaru Sekiguchi. That should be fun. It will be interesting. Mission K4, if, if Kobayashi and Sekiguchi win, it would be a Mission K4 um, explodes match. Um, but knowing how the promotion is booked, it's likely that Sekigun emerges a victorious there ice ribbon has a show on november 8th which has some crossover with triple six wrestlers uh koju takeda actually won the triangle ribbon championship from ram kaichow at a triple six show under a the lady koju um persona uh, he will be on that show, so it'll be interesting to see if maybe the Triangle Ribbon changes hands on that show. And then Ice Ribbon and Actress Girls have a joint Corican show on November 16th. It was supposed to happen earlier this year. It got canceled back when a lot of shows were being canceled. It's being made up now. That should be a really fun show to see. As I mentioned on the Be a Hero Girls show, there was a 
lot of fun ice ribbon actress girls um, crossover and matches. So it'll be fun to see a little bit more of that. Diana has a November a show that is a, um, I believe it's a dojo show. So it'll probably air on their YouTube channel. There hasn't been a card announced for that yet. Marvelous has a show on November 11th, celebrating the second anniversary of May Hoshizuki's debut. Um, the second anniversary is has at least has been in the past around the time when the Marvelous rookies graduate out of their rookie uh, sort of rookie uniform into their official gear. So it'll be interesting to see if May gets some new gear there. Wave has the final DualShock uh, tournament match. It will be Miyuki Takase and Haruki Umasaki, the Luminous team, against Rina Shingaki and Ayami Sasamura, against the replacement team of Rin Katakura and Itsuki Aoki, obviously with Takumi Aroha being injured. Um, that team, uh, her teaming with Miyazaki couldn't happen anymore, so Rin Katakura and Itsuki Aoki are the replacements. And the winner of this match, there won't be anyone moving on into a different, you know, into another uh, attempt to get in. The winner of the match will be the final uh, participant in the sort of tournament finals, along with Serian Hibiki and Boss Tumami. Uh, Choco Pro has four shows coming up in the next week. Um, the closest one is Choco Pro 61, which happens on the 4th with a main event of the Pencil Army against May Saruga and Anchamu, who has just recently returned uh, to Chaco Pro. And finally, Pure J has a show on November the 3rd featuring a title match, Leon versus Raideen Hagane, who recently won that number one contenders match. Uh, that will be for the title. Hanako Nakamori against Rina Yamashita, another good match. And then Seri. As I mentioned, getting around to a lot of different promotions will be taking on the, the young Akari. So that should be a fun match. Should be fun to see Seri in a different environment. I don't know that – I certainly haven't seen Seri in a Pure J match. I don't know if she's ever wrestled there. So it will be fun to see her in a little bit of a different environment. She really is just going everywhere, isn't she, on this uh, one last ride? I guess you think you might as well because, you know – you don't know how long, so if someone comes to you and says, want to wrestle here, maybe she's just saying, sure, I'll wrestle I'll wrestle wherever, whoever. I'm fascinated, fascinated to see if she wrestles in stardom at all. I've been interested by the fact that she seemingly has now gotten around to most big promotions. I mean, especially in two weeks, she will have wrestled in Tokyo Joshi. You know, this Pure J show, she's been... You know, at Diana, of course. Um, I would have thought if the stardom thing was a chance, there there would be some sort of noise about it already because, you know, it was a match that was supposed to, she was supposed to have a match many months ago that didn't happen. You would think when it was announced that she was doing this, that they probably would have been the first people to pick up the phone and say, hey, want to wrestle here? Right. So the fact it hasn't happened yet makes me think that maybe WWE said to her, hey, you can go back, but just don't wrestle stardom. Uh, Taylor, not only has Sari wrestled in Pure J before, she did so about two weeks ago. 
Did she really? October 18th, uh, Ayako Sato and Sari defeated Akari and Leon. Oh, interesting. Well, I guess I missed that. But prior to that, had she ever wrestled in Pure J? Yes, but back in 2018. Okay. Uh, Manami Katsu and Raiden Hagane defeated Mari and Sari. Sari, sorry. Sorry, sorry. sorry. (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) So... But a rare occurrence, I think. Yes, I a very rare agree. occurrence. A rare occurrence. Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end of the show. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, please subscribe to the show so you get these uh, downloaded as soon as they come out. Give us a five star rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app if you don't mind. Tell a friend uh, about the show, uh, and if you'd like to, you can donate to the show at RedCircle.com/shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Anything else you want to chat about before we go, Taylor? I think we just about covered it all. So I guess next time, well, the Stardom Sendai show will have happened, or it'll happen on Sunday. So I guess it depends when we record, uh, whether we'll know the results of that yet. But I expect that we'll cover that. Probably still the Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestle Princess show, I would imagine. Um, if nothing else, the stardom Coraquin for sure. And I'm not, what else are we going to make sure to cover on the next show? Yeah, I think the Russell princess is going to be a big one. Um, and then whatever comes out about comes out, not about comes out from the stardom shows. And then probably, um, the, if it makes, depending on if it airs, when it airs the seedling Coraquin show yeah. as well. Yeah, so those are probably the big shows that we will hopefully get to talk about, depending on uh, what all has been available for us to view by then. So thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you again in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.